0: and welcome to another West March Guys podcast. I'm JT.
1: I'm Joe. And I'm AJ.
0: And today we're going to be talking about the world fighting back and the baddies that are involved. Um, AJ, you want to get into what we mean by this? What do we mean by this when
1: we say the world's fighting back and all this? What we're saying is that what you're doing is creating multiple conflicts that force your players to react to the changing landscape you can simply think of it as having a bunch of big bad evil guy plot lines all happening in the same time. And JT, why does this, why do we do
0: this in a Westmarch style to begin with? We do it to get into more cohesion. Um, It helps provide an aggression that's all in the same place. It it keeps the driving forces together. It keeps consistency through all of the players, and it makes us easier to work together. I mean, if it kind of creates an overarching theme for our players to play off of and kind of expect to make it more consistent, no matter who's DMing. It helps keep things on point, even though uh, multiple things may be happening all around the world. Um, something behind it is driving all of them. It really pulls them into a more complete immersion of a campaign, and it gives DMs multiple instances of conflict to work off of and uh, helps making planning sessions easier for all of us. Uh, why does this matter in a West March, Joe?
2: Yeah, to kind of continue on that, all of your characters have different backstories and different problems and everyone brings their, you know, 10 page backstory to the table. So you want to try and incorporate all of that at the same time. So to get that to work, you got to have to have some sort of cohesive push that you can kind of put all of the little pieces in kind of build that puzzle together. And if you have multiple different, you know, conflicts going on, then it gives you more places to kind of stick all of those little puzzle pieces. And it gives you the ability to have um, the world feel connected, having all of your players kind of having things pop up from different players at different times, but they're all kind of they're connected. So the players feel more in line and it makes sense why they're all together. And it really helps not make every session feel like a one shot. It's always a concern you have with the West March because you kind of are having one shots, but you're not having one shots. Like you have different characters doing different things, but you also want, you want that big world and that full wheel world feel. So that every session is, you know, moving and heading in the same direction. It also keeps players interested. I don't know how many times we've had players come back just because they want to see how it plays out. They want to know, or they come back, uh, you know, a month later and they're like, Oh, we're almost there. I remember when we started this problem, like, you know, and they feel like they're infinitely influence in the world. They feel like, you know, you can have, you could have two full, completely different groups of players playing two different full groups of characters fighting the same baddie. And then from like different angles. And then, you know, two weeks later, you have those groups shifted around and you have different players and they're the same thing comes up and they're like, oh my God, I remember when that happened over here. Oh, we were dealing with this on the, the other side. Um, and we'll dive into specifics to kind of give you a better idea of what I'm, I'm trying to point at. But like, it really helps that world feel connected and players interested. They feel like they're influencing the world when they, when they do things and when they finish one of these big baddies, they just, it's like a, the whole group feels like they've succeeded. So, and if they don't, I'll let AJ try to get into rep- repercussions of failure and what we're trying to accomplish with all of this.
1: Yeah. So what we're trying to accomplish with having all of these sort of plot lines and uh, baddies kind of looming in the background is when you build tension, you build interest. And exactly like Joe said, if these guys are uh, like going through a session and they um, they notice something that ha- like points to uh, another session, like, for instance, let's say they're trying to have they're trying to deal with some bandits that are going rogue. And when they handle and obviously slaughter all of the bandits and they go to uh, loot the bodies, they may find a contract. And that contract just so happens to be signed by two people very high up that they know and they kind of correlate with another session. They go, wait a minute, these people were funded by – and there you go. And now these – I guarantee you once they figure that out, the players are going to want to come back and start to figure out, okay, so these guys are – pulling some strings in the background we want to know more and it's all about making sure that your players like are thinking about their actions understanding their consequences for what they're doing and how they're affecting the world and this is all great and this is all well and good but what do you do if your players just ignore it like what do you like i mean what happens when your players take that contract don't even really read it and just kind of throw it away it's what like what do you how do you kind of, I guess, punish their consequences. And the first thing you can do, make it worse. If, if the bandit uprising is not dealt with, those bandits are going to start looting towns, getting stronger, gaining forces, and eventually are going to start taking cities and doing really bad stuff. And the players are going to have to deal with it, but at a much worse scale. The next thing you can do is if your players try to avoid it and they've got like, let's say they have a safe haven. I know our players had um, one city that was basically like, you know, home base, bring the conflict home. If they think they're okay and like like they leave the city to go do something, the next time they come to the city, what we did specifically, and we'll get into it later, um, we had our little uh, magic item crackdown and all of a sudden now they're not allowed to walk around the city with all of these crazy magic items that they have accrued over the sessions. And now they have to make a decision. Like, do we deal? Like, do we try and fight this or do we just leave? And in our instance, like our players left. And the next thing you can do is kind of in the same light of affecting their home is if they have a favorite NPC, bring them into the conflict because I, another guarantee is once you bring in their favorite NPC and, have them sort of get hit by these overarching like plot lines, they're going to want to deal with it because, you know, I don't care what you do to that village, but if you touch my dog, (laughs) now we got problems. Uh, And the idea that we're trying to do is we're trying to just have all of these things happen in the background and really forces your characters to think about their consequences and their decisions and how they can really affect the world. And I think that that pretty much sums up with, what, why, how, and all this stuff. We're going to get into some specifics of how we actually implemented these sort of overarching plot lines into the world. JT,
0: yeah, and I like to kick it off with the twins, which we've talked a lot about, and and they were just a, such a large part of our world. And and before I kind of get want to get into it, it just I I kind of want to say like it really helped me when I started DMing because having a baddie that had ties in the co- council that our players knew of. Um, made it easy to know what was happening and how I could, you know, throw challenges at our players. And basically there were two evil people who were hell bent on getting full control of the surrounding cities. And Joe's going to kind of jump into the theory of what they were behind Joe.
2: Yeah. So the theory was, it was the kind of political push. They were a political force trying to change the direction and alignment of the world to basically make them more powerful and, just rise their overall influence and everything in every little bit and piece so they kind of took the more like puppet master effect of kind of pulling strings in different places and never really necessarily being at the forefront like trying to tie them back to things was something that was you know always kind of like that was that was the theory behind getting this to work. They they were puppet masters. They were looming and always adjacent, never actually influencing. They'd hire mercenary crews, all that sort of stuff. And I'm going to let AJ kind of really flesh out the implementation of it.
1: Yeah. So to dive into the specifics of it, uh, the first thing we did is we, to set them into position of power, we made them related to other people in other high councils on other cities. So that way... They kind of gave them the reach that they needed and the the means to be able to be the puppet masters. And once they became this sort of uh, the puppet master, sort of uh, archetype, is they became the driving force for a lot of the like the encounters that the party uh, would run into. Like Joe said, like when they would run into the band of mercenaries, uh, they just were all doing things that the twins wanted to do, you know, obtaining new mines, obtaining new technology, maybe they were working and maybe they were trying to clear out a bunch of land that they wanted to use for their own benefit. You know, basically they were just the the bankrolling all of these people. And to make the puppet master archetype sort of fit is you had them we had them never really come into direct contact with the party. They were always one step adjacent at the very least you were either talking to their secretary or you're talking with like, you know, a piece of paper that was just a contract or you were talking with like, maybe like that's all, like all you could get was just a few moments of their time and it was never directly. The next thing we did is we kind of already touched on it is just leave clues. Um, if they find like, if they go and they clear out the mercenaries a couple times, maybe the mercenaries are progressively gaining really nice magic items, which doesn't make really much sense because they're getting paid like, pay, like copper on the, you know, copper on the, I guess, dollar, if you want, <laughs> I don't want to call it, but yeah. So you just leave things that can be traced, Ma- magic items, document, and even word of mouth. Maybe uh, if they're a rogue, maybe they go into the criminal underground and maybe someone conveys to your rogue in thieves Cant that. Hey, things here are not what they seem. And that kind of gives them the bite. That's going to, kind of bring them further into wanting to investigate like what's really going on behind the curtain and then lastly for us we because we have the evil side is I made our twins start bankrolling our evil crew they were the ones who were uh, they basically used the our evil party as like a suicide squad of sorts so they would get sent on all these crazy missions to go get like items like resources even people and the funny thing was the the bad guys never really thought too much about it but it was fun to see that you know the evil crew did the bidding of the twins basically blew up an entire city and then that's what started our magic item crackdown that then forced our good players to react to the world which was really it was just nice to see as like a kind of more like this Really inter- tw- interwoven story of like both p- both parties of our friends affecting each other, and JT's going to get into our next thing, which is a great segue into our magic idol crackdown.
0: Yeah, which was implemented by the twins. Um, really, it watching the cities in New Iman, which was where the twins ruled, get overpowered with magic and seeing issues happening there. Especially, I'm pretty sure they fucked up the whole city one session. I think they, like, really got into a big battle with the, the guard there and everything, and it kind of really was like, all right, well, no more magic. And uh, it was... They, they they issued a new law where everything had to be registered and counted, and our players found their way back when they got into the city and had to either register their weapons, and uh, Joe's going to get into the theory behind it.
2: Yeah, so JT kind of, you know, laid it out as it was this idea that all of a sudden there's concern that these are not not what you want around. They're going to cause more problems than good. And this is at a point where our party had numerous magical po- items, uh, some of them powerful, and they were renowned in the city. And everyone kind of was like, hey, uh, look at what you got. You either got to like come in and register. And there was this fear that we put forth that if it's too good, we're just going to take it from you because you, know, you can't be trusted. So players really took kind of the like oh you know this isn't too bad and then they realized that oh you know we have magic items in our home we have magic items like one of the characters had a magical air conditioner in his shop that you know detect magic exists and they were easily able to pick it up and the players had kind of taken all this thing for granted and we're starting to get too too much and this really kind of threw a wrench into what they had expected the world to be Um, And I'm going to let AJ kind of talk about how we implemented it in the play. Yes,
1: Joe touched on a lot of it, but just to get into more specifics is first, we let the players gather magic items, just standard. And this kind of gives like we we kind of lulled them into like a false sense of security by being like, yeah, here you go. Here's all these cool magic items. Yeah, go nuts. But guys, and then eventually once they started to like really be like really, I mean, each of them having at least two magic items on their person at all times. We would have sessions that, uh, as they were going through, that neighbors, neighboring cities would get destroyed by people who are using these destructive items. Therefore, kind of solidifying the idea to the rest of the world that maybe people with magic items can't be trusted and are are just their, their time bombs rather than forces of good. And then eventually those destructions are going to cause Everybody to eventually, like, you know, overcorrect and at least want to get ahead of the game on these magic items. And so then everything starts going into lockdown. Places get harder to walk through. I mean, as long as you're, you know, a, if you got nothing to hide, you're fine. But the problem is, is, you know, once you start not the problem what happens when you start to force your players to do stuff they uh, immediately are going to always try to rebel they they don't i mean i mean it's a basic human instinct to not want people to be intrusive and invade your privacy but this caused our players to get you know kind of panicked, like joe said and lastly when the players visited, visited the city they are forced to you know they have the choice do you register your items or do you stay and flee and do you leave the city and what our players did is simply is they said fuck it and they left the city. And after that it's pretty much they've avoided the city, right Joe? I'm pretty sure that they have just been off doing their own thing now and they're just they kind of consider that area like a no-go zone, which is, you know, pretty interesting and it's like it's just fun to see your players react to that sort of uh that sort of driving force, and I think that the next force that we're going to get to, and specifically a love for JT, is our White Dragon.
0: I think Joe wanted to touch on the uh, Silver City real quick.
2: It was like that. That was exactly what happened, AJ. As like the plot moved, and they, the instant like they kind of left, all of a sudden everything started falling flat, and it, it like they just picked up and walked away. And you know, we talked about consequences earlier. JT is going to kind of touch on what the consequence was for this one.
0: Well, I mean, at this point we had been playing for I don't know at least a year, and uh, I really wanted to run a big batty, and I we uh, we kind of planned it where there was a dragon that they'd pissed off earlier, and seeing as a city just got rid of all of its defense and magical weapons, they he seized on the opportunity and uh, drove us to our big first batty, which was a white dragon who ended up taking over the city and creating a layer right in the center and. By the time they gave a shit about the Silver Crossroads again and decided to look what was going on, they realized that oh shit, it's totally taken over by a white dragon, and led us to a fun fight. I mean, they it was a good time. I, it was fun to run a, a adult white dragon against a bunch of level tens. It, it was a good time. And while all of this was going on, um, we had an ooze in the background, and it was just you know, AJ came up, but there was a large black river of ooze, and it corrupt things it touched, and we had given our players heads up about it early early on in the campaign and uh, it came out with the twins one of our players backstories and they decided to go towards an airship and they decided to leave the silver city silver crossroads and uh, yeah I think Joe's gonna get the theory behind it but it's kind of funny how they ignored it
2: Joe? Yeah so the theory was that there was this ooze and it was kind of like part uh, its own entity that would just kind of suck up magical energy and part it was being like of course you see something powerful like there's people who want to try and control it so there is fanatical wizards you know one that they interacted with early on another one they interacted with later on that was trying to manipulate it and use it to you know really you know boost up themselves and in these Wizards trying to do this were spreading it all over the place and it ended up starting to take over the Feywild and other locations and causing, you know, it, once it kind of took hold in the Feywild, it really drew towards chaotic magic and started just enveloping the whole area and kind of siphoning energy off of it into the, the Shadowfell. Um, and this just kind of kept growing in the background and we'd point to it occasionally and it would just keep growing and they just kind of ignored it and worked on their airship, kept growing and then let aj kind of touch like really dive into how we implemented what that this is a fun one
1: because like we said earlier and i touched on it was this was one of our overarching plot lines like you guys have said that these guys straight up ignored so i'm gonna go more of a step-by-step because it kind of our plans changed as they ignored it so first, what we had is we had the uh, the main NPC that was supposed to offer like the intro into this whole conflict. He came into the fold and notified everybody of the danger and what was kind of happening. You know, basic like you know intro stuff. And they kind of bit on it because uh, the ooze was headed towards uh, somebody. The Feywild was home to one of our PCs, so it, it kind of was something that they should probably deal with unless they didn't care about their home. So we had them investigate the Urus. They learned its effects. They learned where it was coming from and how it affected the material plane. And they kind of did this over multiple sessions. First, they kind of touched and they saw it. After that, they went and actually investigated it and then saw that that the corruption was spread to these giants. And the giants became like crazed and like bloodlust and were killing anything and everything. And they, we kind of touched on the fact that this ooze was nothing to fuck with. Now, this is the fun part. Uh, well, sorry, before that they, we had them meet an NPC who was supposed to have knowledge of maybe being able to deal with this. He was an herbologist that was studying the black ooze and how to possibly, you know, like purify it so that it wasn't an issue anymore. Now, after they met the NPC, they ignored this for I can't I can't make this up six months. So what we did is next when they came back and they I can't remember what they were doing. I think it was the water plane to get their crystals. After they came back after a couple months, this ooze was bad. So, like I mean, it had gotten all the way to the Feywild and it is now like it's we're it's on your door and it is something that if you don't deal with it is going to ruin everything and one of the better parts about this is when they came back that npc that they were that was supposed to help them and develop like an antidote or some sort of like holy water to purify this was gone so now they don't have the npc so now they got to figure out another way to deal with the problem and our players being as creative as they were decided on one course of action that we're going to get into next but i don't want to spoil the surprise but what they did and how they technically solved this ooze problem was they created something that made an entirely new overarching kind of like plot line that we didn't even think of until they decided to address this problem a certain way and that problem became uh became a bunch of different miniseries and actually like pulled these guys into like months and months of sessions that were uh like from what i could tell everyone really enjoyed and it was just another thing that was cool to see like you had one plot line bleed into an entirely new plot line that the creators that the players themselves created and i mean they all came back to the table they were always asking all right let's like okay where are we going next how are we fixing this problem and jt could you please tell us what happened after they solved this problem
0: Well, they made bombs um, initially. They made different plane tear bombs, and their idea was to go into the Feywild, into the source of the ooze, the three different sources, and bomb them. Well, it worked, but it also tore open all of the planes. And they got back to the, the mortal plane, material plane, and um, we're walking through a crossroads. The dragon had been defeated and they had spent time in the Feywild de- defeating the use and the world was coming back. And they're like, there's weird things going on. And suddenly I think it was a tear to the abyss opened up. Demons came through and started killing everybody in the council. And from then on, they just, <laughs> a pit fiend got away, which really pissed them off. And from then on, terror started opening, uh, across the mortal plane to every plane. And they had to find out how to fight that. And I think it's to t- current, um, I think that we're still taking care of it. I, I think we just got done with the water plane. They're, they're headed to, I think they still have to go to the airplane, but Joe go be behind the theory. At least uh, He might get, have a little more to talk about Joe.
2: Yeah. So they actually just finished the airplane uh, a session ago and they have fire plane and hell left, which they keep putting off, which is going to be really amusing. But yeah, the theory was like the ooze had gotten so bad that they had to take extreme measures to, to deal with it because they had put it off for so long and, in doing so, the extreme measures work to take care of the ooze, but you know, like all things, it just, just rippled through the entire universe and in doing so it tore holes. And this gave us, because the players are getting higher level, uh, gave us an, a way of kind of uh, throwing bigger, harder things on them that made sense. Because, you know, when you start getting to level 17, 18, you really like, you can only fight so many owl bears. Um, but in order to deal with this instead we like a tear would open up and all of a sudden two pit fiends would just like step out in front of the characters and they'd be like ah and you'd keep doing that to the players and eventually they were just getting into the moment like okay we have to fix this like every time they would try and do something it would just another tear would open up and they'd have to fight some of this crazy beast that just steps forth out of it and they were just like okay what do we gotta do and like now they're, you know, they've had to move between the planes, negotiating with different races, and uh, tracking down all of the centers, and kind of figuring out exactly what, you know, how to fix this, and each giving them their own little mini series, and that's that was kind of the theory behind it. No, a bit of the this implementation. One was pretty much you all you guys.
1: Uh, I, I was you know balls deep into the evil side so i mean you guys kind of handled the planar tear and the implementation of it and you kind of already touched on all of it. it i mean the only thing i can really add was uh when the planar tear happened this was another instance for me to in the evil side to you know every once in a while these shits just start popping up everywhere and even the evil characters are like huh why is this happening And you get to see a few of them who get to, you know, who play characters on both sides. You get to see their like their eyes light up is like, oh, 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 shit. There's a play to tear here, too. Okay, cool. Now we know we're affecting everybody and both sides of the party. And another thing that's just really nice to see.
0: I, I just want to touch on a little bit, you know, how we also used it to keep them separate. I mean, we we brought that back before, but, you know, as the evil side and the good side were getting higher up in levels and they could travel farther quicker, um, it was a really great way to, like, oh, well, now you're not on this plane anymore, so you can't run into each other, which kind of helped out. Um, yeah, I think Joe has a couple things that we want to clean up, a few other ideas
2: so yeah, this is, uh, what we've done and it seems to have worked well, but like other ideas that we've tossed around war, always great for building tension, always something that could be in background. It could be either like a, uh, or shadow war where, you know, conflict is happening or it could be a fallout conflict happening on some front that, you know, things pop up in the players, you can just have massive creatures, maybe a uh, giant's. Or dragons are getting together and they're, you know, they're, they want to, you know, they're strong. They want to be in charge. They are going to, you know, put their foot down and be like, you have three dragons just take over a city. I mean, this is very critical role. Boom. All of a sudden another, you know, huge uh, issue is occurring and don't always feel like it has to be big. It could be something small in the background. It can always be like, maybe it's something they forgot about. Maybe something they didn't finish. Maybe someone got away. Like, it kind of, this is kind of how the ooze worked for us. Like they, uh, one of the early wizards that was dealing with this kind of way and they were like, all right, cool. Problem solved. But, you know, kind of kept going in the background. So think about it. Think about things that, you know, you, they didn't complete. It's always great to have those expand into bigger things. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'll kind just chime
1: of, in here. Just uh, closing thoughts. Really. When you're, when you're doing this, I would suggest as uh, someone who loves to uh, world build and do like really, really in-depth plot lines, um, try and implement these things after the players have played a little bit. Get to know each of your players, get to know how they, re- like, how they react to stuff, get to know what their interests, is, interests are. Because let me tell you, there's nothing worse than spending at least like three or four good weeks trying to come up with this like, crazy idea and all of these like all of these different like hooks and plots and then have all of your players just not be interested in it so it's my one advice is if you're going to do this like take a step back don't don't go crazy give them give them kind of like kind of more one shotty stuff in the beginning and then once you sort of learn and they've developed relationships and you kind of see where they're headed that'll make it easier for you to give and come up with ideas that they're going to love And I mean, that's, it's it's about the players having fun. And that's probably the, you know, the one thing I'll say that helped me kind of make sure that like all of my players, it's not wasted time is what I'm trying to get at. So uh, JT, you got anything to add?
0: Yeah. I just want to go through the what, why, and where of what we went through today. Um, So let's start off with what it is. Um, The world fighting back is mostly, The idea to keep a consistency between your players, um, having big, bad driving forces that kind of overarch through all of your sessions and all of your DMs, and at least something in the background that drives um, one overarch to keep more things consistent. It matters so your characters can be more immersed, um, they can feel more connected to the world, and it makes um, making sessions easier for your DMs when there's already things built. And, you know, trying to convey... Uh, looming things in the background things that can really you know cause our 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 players to to be worried about something when a tear pops up on both their campaigns or when um you know uh, uh royal royalty is is complaining that you know they're they're feeling too too aggress or too too much aggression from the magic items they can you know have it fight back a little bit um joe you want to kind of go into our specifics one more time
2: yeah. So we touched on a few different specifics and I'll kind of give you the, like, so the twins, you'd kind of think of it as like a puppeteer or some, you know, one, uh, someone pulling the strings Crackdown would be sort of like a political unrest or, you know, other sort of unrest that is pulling from the background. Ooze could be disease or some sort of like other creature that's, you know, doing something. And planet terror was really, you know, the universe itself, and abnormal moralities that you know, kind of. No, I've almost touched that, on
1: everything uh, I wanted to talk about. AJ, uh, I think we're comments. gonna get into our shameless plugs, and uh, you can find us on Instagram at the West March Guys. JT.
0: For real, Twitter guys, I'm like sharing things now and retweeting, so you can like come check out cool D and D stuff that I retweet during the week. So
2: at the West March Guys. Joe. And always we have our email, uh the guys at gmail.com. And oh, hopefully by what? the time it's posted, we're gonna have a Facebook page. That's the goal.
0: Could you believe it?
2: Yeah. Oh, so maybe that'll be where you guys can, you know, throw <laughs> questions at us or tell us how great we are. Just kidding. Tell us what you want to see and out of the sure future. Tell uh, us what we're doing. Podcasts. Wrong. We have a billion ideas, but we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Stay safe, guys. All right. Always. Good luck. We'll see you soon. Thanks, guys.